this is John chapter 9, uh, if you don't have it open. Sometime around the Feast of Tabernacles, which is September, October time frame, and Hanukkah, which is uh, in November and December usually, just somewhere in the old city of Jerusalem, just outside the temple complex, because we know that Jesus went right outside the temple in the previous chapter. The disciples and Jesus are walking along, and they come across this man that was born blind. Before I get into that story, let me give you a couple of quick connections, though, between what's going on at the Feast of Tabernacles. The Feast of Tabernacles, such an amazing uh, amazing uh, event in, in the life of Jews at that time. Uh, during that festival, they put up, they had huge, and I don't know if you're able to see it or not, these, they didn't have any Polaroids back then, guys, so sorry. Um, but they had huge candelabras or menorahs set up, four of them, either four of them or one with a, with a menorah on top. We don't know for sure, but we, uh, from from what we've gained in history and archaeology, it looks like there were four large, and I'd say large, 75-foot candelabras set up um, in the women's court of the temple area. There they would light, they, and they would use the, uh, the, the priest's old clothes as wicks. And they would take oil and light these huge menorahs, these candelabras, during the Feast of Tabernacles. They called it, this ceremony, the illumination of the temple. So it was a you know, ritual lighting. They did this at night during the Feast of Tabernacles to remind the people of the pillar of fire, of course, that had guided Israel in their wilderness journey. This huge flame and light shone throughout the night. They let it run throughout the, whole, the night. And so now think about that. Jesus just left that. And in verse 5, Jesus said, thinking about that, remember, I am the light of the world. Must have been a significant impact on those who participated in the Feast of Tabernacles to think, Jesus, not those menorahs that were lit, but Jesus, the Messiah, was the light of the world. The other thing that was there that I think was a close connection was that the, the priest would pour water. They would have water brought from the pool of Siloam. Now remember, Eddie read that as we've already talked this morning, that that's where the blind man was told by Jesus to go and wash, that he would receive his sight the priest would take water and pour from the pool of Siloam over the uh, steps, uh, the temple steps, and it was done, in quotes, so that it would flow down and out through the temple to the world outside and so indicate the way that the Jewish faith would satisfy the world. And Jesus chose that spot to tell the blind man to go where Jesus had put the, the mud pack on his eyes and told him to wash. And so it's interesting how Jesus is using this. The connection is what is amazing to me. So think about that. As the story unfolds today, we 
we learn that this chance meeting between the beggar, a blind man born blind, and Jesus and the disciples was not um, a meaningless affliction and a happenstance that took place in the life and ministry of Jesus, but that it had been purposed and planned in eternity past. I'll show that to you in a second. The story, though, the whole story, if we were to take the whole story, is a whole chapter of John chapter 9, which would take us several weeks. And the way I teach, it would take us probably two months to go through the whole chapter of uh, John chapter 9. The church has selected verses 1 through 7 for us to study today, and I think that's appropriate. It's a sort of a bite-sized chunk. But there's two things, I think, in that first seven verses that are important for us to know. There's so many truths. But I think the, the two things that I want us to talk, think about and talk about today is, number one, the Lord gives purpose to suffering. The Lord gives purpose to suffering for his glory and for the good of those who believe. Number two, it's a perfect metaphor to illustrate the plight of those living in the darkness of sin. And Jesus draws that metaphor throughout the chapter. The light of God entered the world through the person of Jesus Christ and brought light in darkness. I noticed one of the songs we sang this morning, the ver one of the verses said, it's not, it's not God's desire for the creation to suffer. And it goes on and said, Jesus, you make the darkness tremble. Is that a good way to say it? And that's what he did. He made the darkness tremble because of the light that shined. So let me give you the outline of the whole story, although we're not going to study the whole story in case you want to go back and, and read it. And it's good to know the whole story so you can get the significance of it. Number one, introduction and narration of the sign miracle, a blind man gained sight. That's today, verses 1 through 7. And the next five verses, verses 8 through 12, the neighbors and the blind man um, uh, of the blind man and the relatives of the blind man talk with him and discuss this event. And the, the third thing is that, okay, here come the Pharisees and they interrogate the man. Interesting story. We could talk all about that for a long time. Number four, the interrogation of the parents. They bring in the parents to make sure what's going on. They are so threatened by what Jesus has done that they interrogate the man, they interrogate his parents, they bring the parents in, they go, what really happened here? Is he really blind? Tell us what went on. And his parents, so yeah, he's old enough, ask him. But of course, John tells us the reason they said it that way is because they didn't want to get kicked out of the temple. So the interrogation of the parents, verses 18 to 23. The second interrogation, they bring the guy back to the synagogue. And verse 24 through 34, ultimately, we have our first example of excommunication. Matter of fact, it's the first time that word is used, in, in a little bit different than that, but that word is used in the Bible, and they, they expel him from the temple. This is a serious, serious thing here. So you're gone. You can't come in the temple anymore. Verse 25, important verse. This is, what, uh, this is why I asked John to play that song this morning as you were coming in. He said, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. Talking about Jesus. But the blind man says, one thing I do know, what? I was blind, but now I, what? See. You said, what's the real meaning of all this story? <laughs> he said it right there. I was blind, I see. 
All right? Done. Explanation done. That doesn't mean that I'm done. All right. Then theological conclusion, number six, the faith of the blind man and the blindness of the Pharisee, verse 35 through 41. If you look at verse 38, it says, Then the man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. So he, he received physical sight and spiritual sight in this chapter. Extremely important. Now, let's go back. Look at verse 1. And let's, with the two issues that we have, and these are, these are critical issues. All of them are in the scripture. But the first one, verse 1, as he went along, he saw, underline saw in your Bible. I'll show you why in a moment. Underline saw, okay? Unless you have, again, a computer, a laptop thing or whatever you've got, don't underline it, all right? Uh, if you do, did everybody underline it? Everybody, Cecil, did you underline? Okay. So make sure. Did Don underline it? Give him a pen. Make sure he underlines it. Okay. Saw, he saw a man blind from birth. Now, let's just stop right there. The Bible deals, thankfully, this is, a, this is an unbelievable book. And people say, well, I don't read the Bible. I don't understand the Bible. I, you know, they're missing the boat. Because this Bible, this book, deals with the most difficult, controversial issues we face in life. It does not run and hide from any of them. And you can find principles and answers to every difficult question we face, whether it's culturally acceptable or not. And one of those issues is addressed here. And that issue is the suffering and disability the suffering of disabled children, disabled adults, and their parents and the suffering they go through because of the disability. Now I say that with all respect, but I also urge you to think about that difficult topic this morning because that's what Jesus addresses here. Though the main function of verse 1 through 7 is to present the miracle, John manages to work in sufficient theological teaching. The first question, he deals with the, the cause of blindness. And the Jews had a very interesting perspective on the cause of disability. Despite the message that Job the, the book of Job gave the Jews, which they believed in. Despite that message, the Jews at Jesus' time believed that most, if not all, suffering was due and caused by sin, individual sin. So, a person who suffered an illness or a handicap in their life was viewed as though they deserved that handicap or disability because of their sin. The theological problem they had in Judaism at that time was one of what is the cause of birth defects? This is not a popular subject to teach about and to talk about. And my wife can tell you that I've struggled with this all week struggled with what, what the Bible teaches. I know the Bible doesn't teach what Judaism taught at that time, 
and that is the question over whether the handicapped child suffered the handicap for the sins of the parent or him. And this is what they said, and I'll read you a verse, I mean, I'll read you a quote from it that you find, will find hard to believe. Or they suffer because of their own prenatal sin. It was actively debated in Jerusalem. Here's what one of the uh, uh, rabbinic pronouncements was from, one of the, from the time of, of Jesus. Here's what they said. When a, when a pregnant woman worships in a heathen temple, the fetus also commits idolatry. It's hard to imagine. Now, before you begin to say, how could you believe something like that? How could you? I'm going to ask you to take a new look this morning and at your own view of disability and suffering. We know in verse, if you look at verse 8, uh, it says his neighbors and those who had formerly seen him, what? Follow me? Verse 8, they've seen him, what? Begging. Begging. So he was a beggar. Not only was he blind, he was a beggar. Was that common? Yes, that was common. Because they didn't, you didn't go down to the local uh, shelter for the blind. And all of the things that we have, the good things that we put together in this day and age, for those who suffer disability, that, that didn't happen. We find that similarly, don't we, when we go to Mexico. Right? What kind of help do those folks have that, that came wheeling into the wheelchairs two weeks ago? We were on a mission trip and they came in they didn't have legs and they didn't have arms and they couldn't see and they had dental problems and they had this and that. Why were they coming to us for help? Because the place, the, the, nothing was put in place for them. Why do we sponsor, where's the picture? The picture over there of the orphans that we have, no orphans or adults, of course, who are severely uh, disabled. And I, I, you know, probably don't have the, the politically correct word to use, but uh, you, you know, you love me enough to know that my heart's in the right place about it, so you'll forgive me if I don't say it politically correct. But who helps them? We help them. <laughs> and a hundred other classes and individuals. Is there a purpose in that? That's what I've been scratching my head about this week. So these beggars with disabilities would line up along the streets leading to the temple. And that, that's common even today. If those of you traveled in many places across the world, especially in other parts of the world where there are large temples and, and mosques and sanctuaries and, and cathedrals, you find this true many times. When you go there, there's beggars lined up in front of there and there's people with disability lined up in front of it. Not comfortable, is it? Let's be honest this morning, Christians. This is not a comfortable subject to talk about. It's not a comfortable subject to view, to see, to, uh, to face. And yet, this is what Jesus wants us to talk about today. The story begins here with Jesus doing what? I ask you to underline a word. Then he, as he went along, he saw a man. It begins with seeing the blind man. Not like the story of the Good Samaritan. The story of the Good Samaritan, what happens? The story of the Good Samaritan, they look the other way. They cross on the other side of the street, the, the priest and the Levite. They, they won't go help him. They, they see him. It says in the story they see him, but they go on the other side of the street. Now, I know none of you have ever had that happen. 
Well, he said, don't walk over there. Don't walk over there. That, that person will make you uncomfortable. I told you this wasn't exactly a comfortable uh, story, but... Uh, Charlie, yes. It's sort of like pulling up to the corner where you got somebody back in there in the corner. Yeah. And you don't look at it. That's exactly it. That's the point. That's the point. In homelessness, we look the other way. And we look the other way. You're way ahead of me. It's because you're smarter than I am. I take a little while for it to develop. That's exactly right. It's hard to look at them straight in the eye. Why is that? Let me go on. People prefer to pass by beggars without seeing them because it's painful to see their misery. And it's painful because even as Christians, we don't know what to do sometimes. And I'm not giving you an advice of what to do and what not to do and should you give the guy $5 at the corner that he may turn around and go buy you know, drugs or alcohol or whatever with it. I, I, that's not my purpose today. So if that's in your mind, yeah, we're not talking about that. Okay? Yeah, don't even, don't say, well, what about you? No, 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 no. Okay? I know all about that. What I'm talking about is what Jesus did, what does that lead us to think about suffering and disability? Just this one statement, though, teaches us so much. It teaches that Jesus initiates the contact. He saw them. They're all walking around. There's all kinds of people there, right? This is, this is right around the feast time, and there's all kinds of people in Jerusalem, and the disciples there, and they walk past them. And as you've just said, I think it's here to, for us to recognize that we need to dis- we need to see the disability and seek the help in whatever way God leads us. Well, yeah, I, I, I'd like to, but I'm uncomfortable. Well, join the club. We're all uncomfortable, and yet we'll see in just a moment there's a purpose in that disability, and God may have us enter into that purpose. So, let's go on. In verse 2, the disciples ask a question. They said, who sinned, the man or his parents? Oh my, what a question. What a question. Who sinned, the man or his parents? You say, oh, I can't believe those sorry guys would ask that question. What a bunch of bums. I can't believe how. And i and I, I got to tell you, I, it, when I read it, it's, it's not the most compassionate thing to say. You're coming by the, the guy that's been born. Everybody knows he was born blind, and the question the first question that comes to mind is not, Lord, we need to help this guy. How do we help him? They say, who sinned? They say, well, not me. Boy, I'd never say that. And yet sometimes doesn't it occur to us when we pass by them, I bet you they're just, uh, they're just panhandling out here. And a picture for me, this is crass as it sounds, the picture comes to me of the movie Trading Places. And Eddie Murphy sitting there on that uh, little thing and then peddling along and, and asking for money. And then when the police come, he jumps up and runs away and he has all of his legs and facilities. And so we're, we're thinking, well, this is just another Eddie Murphy. Yes, I know. I watch Trading Places. I'm sorry that's simple, but that was it's a long time ago and Sally made me watch it. So uh, it is one of my favorite movies too. So anyway, when they ask the question, Jesus, what did Jesus say? What a stupid question that is. No, he handled it in grace and in mercy, even to them, because he's going to teach them. 
And what is his answer specifically? Does he answer the question? Well, they're asking really what the cause of it is, aren't they? What, who and why does this guy, does he have a birth defect? He was born blind. Why does he have a birth defect? And they go, well, Jesus said, uh, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened purpose, so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. Same thing that Jesus says in John chapter 11, verse 4, about the death of Lazarus. Now, this is a significant truth, so get this. This is important. Present suffering doesn't correlate with past sin often. Now, that sounds real deep, but it, you know me, it's not. Present suffering does not correlate with past sin often. We know from other passages that suffering is a result of sin, generally speaking. Sin, sin came to this world. Sin brought with it consequences. Sin brought with it suffering. Did Adam and Eve suffer before they fell? I don't believe so. I believe sin brought in suffering and pain. But it's not God's desire for his creation to suffer. And yet the human race was plunged into suffering because of this original sin. But to try and apply everyone's current suffering to their specific sin is not biblical. You say, whoa, man, I, I believe that. Do you? <laughs> I ask myself that. Do I believe that? And when I got sick, I said, oh, man, I'm sick, and I, I know why I'm sick. Because I, oh, God got me again for this and this and this and this. Listen, if that's the way you live your life, you need a better view of God. You need to understand the biblical perspective that God has on suffering. Let me give you some examples. Job, a righteous man, right? A righteous man. He loved God, but he suffered greatly. So if you look to the purpose of his suffering, not the cause of his suffering, but the purpose of his suffering, the purpose of his suffering was, will you be true to God when you do not understand the reason for your suffering? Job's friend said, what did they say? What did Job's good buddies come and tell him? <laughs> they said, you're, you're a mess, Job. You're a mess. You're over there scratching the, your boils and, and all this other stuff, gross stuff. Your whole family got killed. And look, I mean, look at all this. What did you do wrong? <laughs> and that wasn't it at all. The devil came and, and confronted God and said, he'll turn against you. God said, no, he won't. I think of Joseph. I heard a, a great message on Joseph this week who suffered unjustly for years and years. His brothers sold him into slavery. You think you got a bad family with problems. <laughs> Joseph's brother sold him into slavery, right? In Genesis 50, 20, look at, the, look at the purpose. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Your brother, my brother sold me into slavery. Now he's got the brothers back again trying to get some food. 
And he says, you meant it for, to harm me, God meant it for good, the purpose. Paul, every time does God do the, this is great. This means every time God's going to heal. Is that what it means? No. No. Look to the purpose, not to the cause. Look to the purpose when Paul said in 2 Corinthians 12, Lord, take away this thorn in my flesh. I don't know what it is, but take away this thorn in my flesh. He said, how many times did he pray for God to take away the thorn in his flesh? Three times. He said, Lord, please take it away. Please take it away. Please take it away. God said, no. What did he say? You, uh, and, uh, he said, uh, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. He wasn't healed, but listen to this. There are more majestic works of God than just healing. The disciples were looking for an explanation of blindness. Jesus said there is a purpose, a plan, the work of God displayed in our life. Now, let me get to the hard part. I know, I'm, I'm hurrying. God knows everything that happens in the creation of a human being. Does he not? Would you agree with me about that? If you don't, let me give you two verses of Scripture. Psalm 139, verse 13. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together where? In my mother's womb. Listen to Exodus chapter 4, verse 11. This is, this is critical to understand. Difficult to understand, but critical to try to get God's perspective on this. The Lord said to Moses, Who gave man his mouth? Who made him deaf or mute? Who gives him sight or makes him blind? Is it not I? The Lord, that's hard for me to understand. But let me say this. You cannot biblically deny God's sovereignty, His plan and purpose for every individual life. Every individual life. God permits suffering is a part of our life and has a purpose. Healing is not the only way for God to display His purpose. I think of several cases in my own family. I won't belabor them, but I'll give you one. And you'll have to forgive me when you listen to this, mother, dear, but I'm going to tell it anyway. My mother was blind since she was very young, legally blind. Since she, had retinitis, she has retinitis pigmentosa. She's not seen very much for 85 years. She is virtually deaf. She has severe arthritis and many different afflictions. We grew up with as a kid. We got used to it. But you know what? As I talked to her this morning, and um, we talked about this subject a little bit, she's the first one to say, God had a purpose in all of it. And though she cannot see what I wish she could see, she sees it in faith's eye. And I don't know anyone that I bring my prayer request to before I bring it to her. Because her life has been, through her disability, has, been, has become a life of effectual prayer. So God had a purpose. I read this on a website of Bethlehem Baptist Church under ministry and disability. Bethlehem Baptist Church, large church in uh, Minnesota. Listen to this. Under ministry disability. 
our vision is to value and display the supremacy of God in disability and suffering. God can and does use disability to bring glory to his name. Perhaps the best known example of this is the man born blind whom Jesus healed. Christ said the man was not blind because of sin, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. God permits suffering as a part of our life. And it always has a purpose. As soon as Jesus, though, finishes correcting the faulty theology of his disciples, he declared in verse 5, I'm the light of the world. And then he gave the man sight. In just this one act, he asserts his, if you read the rest of the story, he asserts his authority over disability, over sin, over bad theology, over religion, over the temple, and over doing it on the Sabbath. And in verse 32, it says, have you ever read this, really, really read this, verse 32? Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. Have you thought about that? Jesus was the only healer in the Bible of someone blind. Only he can restore spiritual sight. We are born spiritually blind. He sees us, offers his healing. We respond in faith, and our spiritual eyes are open. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Let me just show you this real quick. See, that it's not very clear. It's an app. And I love apps. Okay, I'm not very technologically advanced, but I love apps. I got a million of them on my phone, 90% of them, I don't know what they do. But I, if somebody says, this is a good app, put it on, I put it on. I don't know why, but I put it on. I just think it's great stuff. And uh, then one day I'd start looking at my apps. I got 9 million apps, I don't know what they do, so I had to take them off. So I'd start get, collecting them again. This was one, though, that's amazing. Let me read you what this one does. This app, there, it's, uh, it's a nonprofit app that allows sighted people to lend their eyes to those with visual impairments through video chat. Simply put, it's remarkable. The Be My Eyes app was developed by a visually impaired man in Denmark. It connects blind people to sighted volunteers through video chat. The volunteer can answer questions because they can see the blind person's surroundings using their phone's camera. Isn't that amazing? This is how it works. The other day, Be My Eyes app user connected with a young man who wanted to know the expiration date of the milk in his refrigerator. The visually impaired man positioned his phone's camera to the top shelf looking at the image of the milk carton on my phone. The app user said, I wouldn't drink that if I were you. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? What did, what did I put that up there for? Because we need to help the blind see the light. Physically and spiritually. That's what God's called us to do. Bring light. Bring light. You know what I love about going to Mexico? Because we're bringing light. It's not just that we put those glasses on. That poor little man couldn't see anything when he sat down in that chair. We put that glass on, but, and he could see. And, man, I, I was, you know, Jim came and said, what? We were thrilled. And praise God he got sight. But you know what also was great? It's when I got to say to the little senior in high school that was helping me translate, would you like to receive Jesus as your personal Savior and, and ask him to come into your heart and change your life? He said, I sure would. We, let's pray. And he prayed and asked Jesus 
to come into his heart. Let me finish up. Here's what I want you to remember today. Number one, God is sovereign and has a plan and purpose for every individual life. Can I encourage us to look at disability and suffering and then ask God, what can we do? Sometimes it's nothing. I know that. I thought about it in the service a few weeks ago. We have people in our service sometimes that are disabled. And I know you probably heard it before. And, and um, I've had someone sitting in the service that just cannot control themselves and cries out. And, and what's the temptation for us to do? Or to go, I wish they'd get them out of here. Uh, Maybe we ought to see them first and see what purpose God has in their life that we might share in. Number two, Jesus does the work. Jesus saw him, sought him out. He initiated the restoring the sight. He didn't say, he wasn't like the other miracles, was he, that we saw? He didn't sit on the side and go, hey, over here, heal me. Jesus saw him. Then he initiated the healing. He said, go take this mud and saliva that I've made, taken dirt, made, which was a common, believe it or not, was a common form of, of healing back in those days that the, that the doctors, the quacks or whatever, would put together mud. And they called it fasting saliva. People who fasted, they'd take saliva and rub it together and put it on their eyes to heal them. I'm sure that was helpful without God's power. He saw them, he gave them, he gave them cure, and in verse 6 and 7, and then he goes on, he seeks him out after he was thrown out of the synagogue, and he brings him to salvation. So, the application, see the blind, seek them out, bring them light. Number three, a story of amazing grace. It changed his present life, it changed his eternity. It changed his suffering, gave him deliverance, but it changed, more importantly, his eternity. So, let's find the blind. Let's find the disabled and help them. Yes, ma'am. Before the prayer, um, this also speaks one more thing to me. And, um, this also speaks one more thing to me, and that is that when we see, when we truly see our neighbors and see each other, um, then we're more able to live the kind of non-judgmental, loving life that we're supposed to live when we have Christ. That's right. That's right. When we truly see. Yeah. When we truly see. It's hard not to look away at any suffering. Uh, I've said enough. I'm way overdue. <laughs> Tammy is one of those. Tammy and Scott are out of town today, so... Beth is going to help us with our prayer time today. So, Beth, you're on. Okay. Tony well, we did a beautiful lesson today with this. Uh, I think, looking around, most of us are maybe old enough to remember back in the 80s there was a book, uh, Why Bad Things Happen to Good People. Right, right, right. Pushner, I haven't looked at I've got it in my library. I haven't looked at it in years. But if some of you go and you're still struggling with what Charlie talked about today. Yeah. Thank you, Bill. It is. It is. It's a good ad. As, you know, why good people suffer. Why good people suffer. It's good. 
Thank you. Anybody else have anything?